This is Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. This podcast is sponsored by The Forward. Stay up to date with unlimited access to news, culture, and opinion all through a Jewish lens. And for our listeners, for 2NJB listeners, get six months of The Forward for 15 bucks. An exclusive subscription offer for our listeners, forward.com slash 2NJB, and get six months for 15 bucks. Also in collaboration with Arutz Sheva, IsraelNationalNews.com. And last but not least, in collaboration with Australian Jewish News, check them out at ajn.timesofisrael.com. Back in 2018, President Trump made a bold move when he exited the Iran nuclear deal and leveled crippling sanctions on the Iranians. Iran, in retaliation, cranked up its uranium enrichment. Well, at least they no longer hit it. Last week, in a quiet corner of Vienna, the U.S. began back-channel negotiations with Tehran with the aim of re-entering what is officially known as the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. Talks are set to continue this week. Yesterday, Natan's nuclear facility in Iran experienced a devastating power outage, which experts are saying has set back Iran's nuclear goals by about nine months. And guess who most are saying is responsible? Dan Shiftan is the head of the National Security Studies Center. It sounds Center. like you say that Dan Shiftan is the most responsible. <laughs> <laughs> Not, well, maybe we'll find that out. But Dan Shiftan is the head of the National Security Studies Center at the University of Haifa. Correction? Not really. He is not. The head of the International National Security Graduate Program okay. at uh, the University of Haifa. I see. But are you responsible for... I wish I were. Well, as being... Part of the Jewish people, I hope. Partly. Yeah. You have a part of it. I have. So just let's finish the introduction. So he, he has taught at the IDF National Security College and Command and Staff College. He was an advisor to Israel's National Security Council and former Prime Ministers Yitzhak Rabin and Ariel Sharon. He's also the author of several books and articles on issues pertaining to Israel's national security. And he joins us today for the second time on yes. the podcast to talk about the Iranian threat. We're thrilled to welcome Dan Shiftan to the podcast. Thank you so much Thank for you. joining us. Thank you. Delighted. And for suffering us. That's... It's okay. Again, I'm a Jew. I suffer. Okay? <laughs> That's what we do. It's part of your right? destiny. Mm -hmm. I see. So before we get to it, uh, we have a sponsor. Yes. Right? We have a sponsor, which is also uh, an Israel lover, just like us. Uh, if you're listening, you probably have some interest in Israel, guys. Check out MasaIsrael.org slash TWO, Nice Jewish Boys, MasaIsrael.org slash Two Nice Jewish Boys. They have great opportunities. You come to Israel, you live out your passions, you're, you can explore your career path, and you can make a real positive impact on the world. During the pandemic, Masa also created options to study and work in Israel, but remotely. So you can come here. You don't have to actually go into the office or anything, but you can study and work remotely. You don't have to learn Hebrew. You don't have to pause your life. Check it out. You get funding if you apply. So check out MasaIsrael.org slash Two Nice Jewish Boys. Check them out. So what happened yesterday, Professor Shifton? Let's get to yesterday somewhat 
later. Let me okay. start with the overview of Iran, mm -hmm. and then we can, we, we can understand specific issues. We used to have the Arab-Israeli conflict, and the major advantage that Israel had with the Arab-Israeli conflict is that the Arabs are, how can I put it very politely, incapable of meeting the challenges of the 20th and 21st century. So on the one hand, we had a huge enemy when Arab states cooperated with each other in fighting us. We had major armies, very, very large armies. But the Arabs are basically weak because they have a weak society. And this reflected itself also in the armies. And whereas it was difficult to win them, nevertheless, in the final analysis, if you look for 100 years about our conflict, confrontation with the Arabs, we managed to win time and again, not only because we are so good, but also because they're so bad, because they're so weak. Now we have a completely different enemy. The Iranians remind me of the Israelis, and this is what is frightening. When I'm looking at Iran today, I'm reminded of Israel in the 80s and the 90s. They didn't catch up with us. We are still much stronger than they are, but this is a nation of 80 million people. This is a nation that has enormous capabilities. Believe it or not, even under the mullahs, they have some pluralistic elements in their society. They're impressive. They have science. They have technology. They're building weapons. They're the world number one expert in reverse engineering. They capture weapons of their enemies, and then they copy it, and they're very good at it. And they challenge us in a very real way. And here is the interesting paradox. As Israelis who were confronting Arabs, we always wanted the Arabs to be weak. Now the Arabs are so weak, they're too weak from an Israeli point of view. I mean, I wish the Arabs were stronger. If the Arabs were stronger today, the Egyptians, the Saudis, the Emiratis, the Bahrainis, and so on, they could oppose Iran much more effectively. The point is that you have a very strong power in the region, Iran, and the Iranians understand how weak the Arabs are, and the Iranians are capable and are willing and are eager and are committed to hegemonize the Middle East. Namely, the Arabs are so weak that the Iranians will take them over. Now, it doesn't mean Iran will occupy the entire region. They're very good in using proxies. Look at what they're doing in Lebanon, in Syria, in Iraq, in Yemen. They're very, very sophisticated. Unlike the Arabs, they have a lot of patience. They build things slowly with a good infrastructure, and one day you get up in the morning, it's too late. So there's a very real danger that they will hegemonize this region because of the weakness of the Arabs. Can now, I stop you for a second to ask a question, please? Or is there a... Let me just okay. finish here because I want to give the overall picture, okay. and then we can get into specific issues. If they hegemonize the whole region, they control the oil, the gas, the maritime um, pathways, Suez Canal, others, the Persian Gulf. They may control Saudi Arabia and control Mecca and Medina. And this is perhaps not something tangible, but tremendously important. 
And if this is what you can command from Tehran, then Iran is not just a Middle Eastern power. Then the Europeans are threatened. I mean, the Europeans will not recognize it because they live in La La Land. But this is the kind of power that can threaten Europe. I mean, the Iranians are building now missiles that can reach Europe. And they're building nuclear weapons. So we're speaking about something that can become a power far beyond the Middle East. And when Europe is a non-entity, it doesn't exist. And when you have nice guys sitting in the White House, then what's to stop the Iranians except the Israelis? And here is the interesting thing. Everything bad and a lot of good things come from the fact that the only people who are willing and able to fight the Iranians are the Israelis. The bad thing is, the Iranians consider us our enemies, not only because they are barbarian and anti-Semitic, but also because we are a real obstacle to their ambitions. The bad thing is that because Europe is non-existent and America is sometimes feeble, the Iranians can do more or less what they want. The good news is that the Arabs understand that the only thing standing between them and Iranian domination is Israel. And this explains not only the Emirates and Bahrain and Sudan and Morocco, but also Egypt. They understand, everybody in Saudi Arabia, everybody understands that if you don't want to be dominated by the Iranian barbarians, you need to work with Israel. And therefore, the Arab-Israeli conflict, the way we've known it for more than 100 years, is now fading away. Do we have radical Arabs who are enemies of Israel? Yes. The Palestinians are always committed to the destruction of Israel. And I expect... We even have members of Knesset committed to the destruction of Israel. We even have members of Knesset that openly say that Israel is an illegitimate entity. Yeah. Ram yeah. today announced yeah. they will not forfeit their anti-Zionist uh, charter. Which yes, is but just... you see, it's not just anti-Zionist. These people are also anti-Semitic. Yeah. I mean, if you go to the Muslim Brothers, if you go to Gaza, they're openly uh, speaking about the protocols of the elders of Zion. Okay. So, yes, we have a lot of animosity in the Arab world. Yes, a large portion of Arab public opinion is very hostile to Israel. Yes, the elites are more radical than the everyday men in the street. But what we used to have, namely the Arabs fighting Israel, the Arabs boycotting Israel, the Arabs unwilling to work openly with Israel even when they clandestinely depend on Israel. This is no longer there. Namely, there is another option that for the time being does not engulf the whole Arab world, but nevertheless is an important force in the Arab world that is not only willing to actually cooperate with Israel, but is willing to openly cooperate with Israel and tell the Palestinians and other radicals, look, if you want to continue to suffer, be our guests, but we are not going to suffer with you. We are going to cooperate with 
the people who are on our side against our enemies. So that's the big picture. In this big picture now, we can discuss the nuclear issue and what happened yesterday and electricity and whatever you want and terrorism. But this is the overall picture and everything must be understood in, the, in this context. I have, Go. I want another big picture. Okay. <laughs> um, it's going to be a while before you get to ask your question. Okay. But what is the, because what you're doing is setting up like a, a paradigm for how to look at the situation. And I'm sure that there are counter paradigms, right? There's people who like the beautiful mean, man that you have a you picture mean, of you here. You mean dumb people. Yeah, dumb people. Okay. But you have a picture of one of them here on your bookshelf. Mm -hmm. So I assume that you you are well acquainted with the thoughts of these these counter uh, paradigms. Well, there's a picture, but now it's not it's not okay to say who it is because then <laughs> we'll give away our uh, our our bias. Although it's, I think it's pretty clear now. It's Obama. It's Obama. Okay, so I'm sure there's a counter uh, paradigm, right? That, for example, Obama held when he was uh, approaching these nuclear deals. What is how do how does he view the Middle East and Iran and the Arabs? You must again see it in a broader picture. Obama is what Moshe Dayan used to call a good guy in the bad sense of the term. <laughs> Namely, a guy that is so good that he should be a poet, he should be a social worker, he should... He, he should, should have be, a podcast. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, he, has, he has a podcast now. <laughs> he should uh, be a community worker in Chicago, okay? But if you're a social worker, you don't belong in the White House. Or if I may use, I don't know if you're allowed to use profanities on your program, but I will about Obama. And I really apologize, he's a European. <laughs> this, this is the worst thing you can say. But a reality TV show host, it's okay in the White House. That's fine. <laughs> Look, <laughs> or... <laughs> if, the, if you have um, some kind of actor sitting in the White House, or you have somebody who used to sell shirts in the White House, okay? The question is, what do you do when you're sitting in the White House, okay? And Trump did a lot of things that I don't like, and I definitely don't like his personality, but when it comes to the Middle East, with one exception concerning Turkey, I think he did the right thing. I think, though, weirdly, though, you guys would get along, I feel like, you and Trump. I think you guys would click. I don't think you so. You don't think so? No, I don't think so, because... Being rude is only part of what I am. <laughs> okay. In other words, uh, <laughs> it, it is something that I enjoy. Yeah. But... Uh, it has to be said that you, you passed it down clearly. There's a plaque on your desk here that reads, Father, you are not an example for anything. Yeah, this comes from a very smart <laughs> daughter, very okay. smart daughter, that understands that, uh, you know, certain things that apply to me don't apply to others. <laughs> okay. And so back to Aitan's question, you're saying basically he has no perspective? No, no, no. He has a very clear perspective, and that's exactly what's frightening. Look, Obama is a person that I would like very much to have as my friend, the kind of person Obama is, my neighbor, um, my Social colleague, worker. my colleague in, in the PTA, I, up to the fifth grade approximately, <laughs> And he's a nice guy. 
but nice guys should be poets. Joe also okay? is a nice guy, by the way. Yes, mm. but you see, I don't think Biden is as bad as Obama in mm. the sense that he doesn't have an ideology that he's committed to, an ideology of abdicating the role of America as the leader of the free world. So he's like a pragmatist. Let me, again, answer in a broader way. You know that European monarchs used to add to their title the title Defender Fidi, namely the Defender of the Faith. When you are the President of the United States, ex officio, by the fact that you're sitting in the White House, you are Defender Liberty. Because were it not for the United States, you and I would not live in freedom. Were it not for the United States willing to save the world from the Hitlers and the Mussolinis and the Stalins and the what have you, we will not be free people, okay? Freedom depends on the United States. And when you're the president of the United States and you abdicate the role of the United States as the defender of the free, okay? Then I think you don't belong there. Now again, in terms of personality, he's bright, he's cool, he's sophisticated, he's educated. Who are we talking about? Obama. No, Obama, okay. But Not Trump. when it, no, I when Biden. it comes okay. to what it takes, he's very good in speaking softly, but he's carrying a toothpick, okay? If you don't carry a big stick, if you don't demonstrate that you're willing to use the big stick, because... Carrying it is not enough. You have to demonstrate that you're willing to mm -hmm. use it. You can't afford to speak and, and I also recommend, guys, listen to the previous episode we did with yeah. Professor Shifton because we talked about that also a lot. Yeah, yeah you, I, I just, I'm trying to understand. So it's the same, it's the same mistake that Chamberlain made. It's like, it's, it's appeasement not, at all costs. Not as it's bad. It's trying to leverage. Not as bad as, as Chamberlain. Yeah. I mean, but it's in the same direction. He was not willing to take on the tough part that you need when you're the president of the United States in order to also have the soft part. Mm. If you have the tough part, if you have the big stick, if you're willing to use the big stick, you can speak softly. You can do a lot of good. You can help a lot of nations. And I'm for it. It's very important. But if you don't have the big stick, Nothing else. Look at Europe. Here is the second largest economy in, in the world. Here is a continent that all of us, every value that the three of us cherish, we've learned from the Europeans in the final analysis. Okay, as Jews, we can say that they learned it from Isaiah. That's a good excuse, but not they really. They practiced. Not, not really. Yeah. They have developed the open society system. They have developed pluralism, liberalism. Everything we enjoy today. But look at Europe. What is the impact of Europe in the world? And again, I may have said it last time because I didn't change my mind on the subject. Europe can afford to, to be Europe as long as America is America. If America becomes Europe, who will defend Europe? I mean, you can live in La La Land if somebody else is the responsible adult. Canada. Huh? Yeah, look, the Canadians, the Canadians have contributed when push came to shove 
Yeah. They when you go, the when you go back to D-Day, mm-hmm. the Canadians were there. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, uh, but uh, I mean, yeah, but only two beaches uh, out of the ten. But <laughs> <laughs> give credit where it's due. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They were there. Um, we love you, Canada. And and what I'm trying to say about Obama is, he had a very systematic paradigm. I'm not saying that he didn't know what he was doing. I'm saying that unfortunately he was very consistent in doing the wrong thing mm. because the message to Iran, it's instead of we'll break your neck, now you want to talk, let's be nice and... Civilized. Let me give you only one <laughs> example. The best negotiators in the world are the Iranians. Who does Obama send to negotiate with the Iranians? John Kerry. He may have had major advantages when it comes to height or the tone of his voice, I don't know. But as a negotiator, as somebody who knows what he's talking about, it's a joke to send him to negotiate with mm-hmm. the Iranians. So before we dive into current events, I have another big picture question. Because he talked about how smart the Iranians are as a nation. They are. Okay, so here's what I want you to solve for me, this, um, this problem, this conundrum. conundrum. If they are so smart, history teaches us that plotting of world domination is catastrophic, right? We saw what happened to, from Genghis Khan to Hitler to the USSR. It always ended badly. And you see that the nations that Uh, focused on self-improvement, right? On, on becoming the best of themselves with what they have, like the United States, for example, um, except for the part when they murdered all the locals. But <laughs> let's put this aside. Um, Caveat. <laughs> but or, those are the nations that uh, flourished, right? So how come, instead of taking what they have and becoming the best country in the world... They focus all their resources on those stupid endeavors, pointless, and, and leaving their uh, people in poverty and now to death in, with the coronavirus. You are arguing something very funny. Rationality. I don't, I, are you married? No. <laughs> ah, that's why you <laughs> still believe in rationality. Um, okay. You assume that people do what's good for them. You yeah. don't understand the combination between barbarism and a very sophisticated way of trying to bring about your objectives. The two can cohabitate. I mean, look at the Germans in the Second World War. You had a barbaric leadership with a very impressive people. This is what made them very dangerous because they... Nazi Party could mobilize the abilities of the German people and have enormous achievements that made them very strong. Okay? Now, if I were to come to the Iranians and make a very rational argument saying, why do you need to do it with bombs and terrorism and nuclear things? You are so capable scientifically. You are so uh, fit to deal with the challenges of the 21st century, you're 80 million people in the Middle East, you'll dominate this region with simply money. 
not just with, with money, with your with capitalism. abilities. Yeah. With your abilities. Money is only an instrument. Science, technology is only an instrument. Mm -hmm. Your abilities, your society. But this is not... If you study world history without assuming that people do things that end up uh, badly, you wouldn't be able to understand human history. Okay? And by the way, not the individual history. Think of your friends. How many of them? Think of yourself. How many of your decisions are motivated by your logical conclusion? And how many of them are motivated by your psychological needs? Sometimes psychopathological needs. Not you, of course, but others. Okay? But what I'm saying is, yes, the Iranians are a very able people. Yes, the present regime is barbaric. And yes, I hope that one day, I don't know if it will happen tomorrow or in 30 years, they will realize that this is counterproductive for the Iranian people. But it's very difficult to rise up against it. Now, here's the difference between the Iranians and Americans. When Arab society takes over, from corrupt Arab regimes, the society is, is in such a bad state that the society is worse than the most distorted the regimes. Yeah. Okay? Can you imagine somebody more destructive than Gaddafi in Libya? Very difficult to imagine. And yet, they miss when him. he was overthrown mm -hmm. and the Libyan society took over, it got worse. Okay? What are the options in Egypt? Muslim Brothers or military dictatorship? Okay? Why am I supportive, very supportive, of the military dictatorship in Egypt? Exclusively because the Muslim Brothers are much worse. And America, on the other hand, you it's, said... It's, but it's a common misconception, right, in foreign, in foreign policy to think that these countries are taken, are hijacked by, you know, barbaric megalomaniacs who are sitting at the top controlling an otherwise peaceful, good people. No, it is, I, I think it is misleading when you speak about the Arabs, but not when you speak about the Iranians. Iran is hijacked by this leadership because there is something in the Iranian people that you can very much respect. And if they get rid of this leadership, there will be a different Iran. In the final analysis, look, if we could just look 100 years from now, I would be with Obama. Because basically what he said, why should I have uh, allies like the Saudis and the Egyptians when I can have allies like the Iranians? Disregarding the fact that barbarians are in control of Iran. I can understand why from an American point of view, Indeed, from an Israeli point of view, Iran could be the best ally of Israel. Actually, if you look at the Middle East today... It was, there are only, it was the yes, best ally of Israel. It, it was not the best ally, one but it was, it was a good ally of yeah. Israel. But one day, when you look at the Middle East, I think the Jews and the Iranians are the two impressive... Uh, peoples in this region. Before Erdogan, I, I said, I used to say, the Iranians, the Turks, and the, and, and the Israelis. Now, when Erdogan proved that the Turkish people, the majority of the Turkish people, 
support this Muslim brother, this very dangerous and, again, barbaric leader, I'm not so sure. In Iran, one day, it may take a long time, but one day we may have a different leadership. But as long as Iran is what it is today, you cannot say in 1943, let's treat Germany like in 1945. Okay, when you burn Berlin, when you occupy Germany, when you denazify the um, German people, then they can be your allies. When they become a democratic nation, as they did, they can be your ally. But before you burn Berlin, you first have to burn Berlin. Okay, mm -hmm. you can't bring about a change in Germany. And you cannot today bring about a change in Iran by being nice to the regime. Iran and the civilized world have a zero-sum game. Whatever is bad for Iran is good for civilization. It is good for the United States. It is good for Europe. It is good for Israel. It is good for everybody. Whatever is bad for Iran, is whatever makes the Iranians suffer, whatever makes them less capable of pursuing what they're doing now is good for us, okay? Now, the problem with Obama was that he believed that he could change Iran by being nice to it. You, they don't need, they don't use the word appease anymore, so they call it engagement. So they call it dialogue. So they have other names for something that is essentially the same thing. Same shit. If you have an enemy, make it suffer. Okay? Whatever is bad for your enemy is good for you. Ethan is so happy. <laughs> like, Ethan's like, done for president. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about current events, right? Okay. Now, now, now we can speak about yeah, current yeah, events. Now it was the introduction, guys. Yeah. We've been okay. setting the stage. Okay. But um, tell us a bit about what's happening now with the Biden uh, administration re-entering these deals. Do you, do you foresee them... Uh, basically folding to every uh, demand and going back into the deal, whatever the conditions are? Or is there an obstacle to... I think to... the jury is still out. Okay. First of all, the radical elements in the Democratic Party, the so-called progressives, have not managed to dominate the foreign affairs scene. Uh, I'm, um, I feel much better when Susan Rice is not uh, foreign secretary or, or secretary of, of state, uh, when um, uh, Bernie is not making many decisions, or at least I can't see him. So the people are less ideologically committed than, uh, than under Obama. I think they will not try again. They don't have an appetite for another failure on the Israeli-Palestinian scene. So something as ridiculous as um, uh, John Kerry tried to do here in 2014 to bring about in, in nine months um, peace between Israel and the Palestinians. So ridiculous. I mean, it is one of the dumbest things that I could possibly imagine don't this, underestimate I don't, them. this I don't think is coming back. Uh, 
Concerning Iran, yes, they're eager to reach an agreement with Iran. They're eager to do it for a good reason, but the way is not the good way. They want to disengage from the Middle East, and I think they're right. And by the way, from an Israeli point of view, I think it's a good idea. I don't want the Americans here. I want them supporting the pro-American allies in the region not being here. I don't want American soldiers. America cannot digest, cannot stomach another war in the Middle East. The failure in Iraq, the failure that you could foresee, not coming and destroying uh, the, the army of, of Saddam Hussein, but this dumb notion of bringing democracy to the Middle East. Democracy in the Middle East sounds like military intelligence or good morning or Israeli patience. It's an oxymoron. Okay, There is no such thing. Military intelligence, Israeli patience, Arab democracy, good morning. This idea, this uh, war made it impossible for the United States to conduct another war or to uh, reliably threaten another war. So I don't want the Americans here. I don't want American forces here. I want them to go to the South China Sea. This is where the real story today is taking place. I want them to understand that the best thing that ever happened to them is Israel, because it is both very strong and determined, and it's not doing it for the United States. It is, do, it is doing it for itself. And the, and the byproduct is something that the Americans can benefit from. And if the Israelis can work with the Saudis and with the Emiratis and with the uh, Kuwaitis and the Bahrainis and the Sudanese and the Moroccans and so on, and the Egyptians and the Jordanians, so much the better. So there is no more Israel on the one hand and the Arabs on the other hand, but a coalition of Israelis and Arabs, an Israeli-Arab coalition encompassing most of the Arab world against the radicals in Tehran and in Ankara. And that's a good thing from an, from an American point of view. Is it now different because Biden is at least willing to listen to the Israeli concerns? He may not want to pursue it, yes, but he's willing at least to listen. Obama simply cheated Israel, okay? He, he went behind Israel's back and cheated Israel. Uh, Biden is willing to listen. Biden, again, doesn't have an ideology of, uh, you know, abandoning the position of the United States. Being weak with him is not an ideology. Maybe it will be the product of his policy. I don't know, it's too early to say, but it is not something that he seeks. So can Israel have an impact? Yes, and Israel should have an impact in two ways. On the one hand, to demonstrate, and this is what we're doing, whatever you negotiate with the Iranians, we kill them. Okay, we destroy their installations. We hit their ships. We um, have uh, we use cyber against them. It's an enemy. You need to scientists. have war. Pardon? Assassinate their scientists. 
We didn't assassinate yeah, yeah. their chief of uh, operations in the military. No, no, no this this is credit this was, to uh, yeah. to to uh, Trump, but it's a good idea. <laughs> I mean, I'm a great believer in. It was killing. one of the best things he had done in his. Yes, I think it's safe yes. to say. Yes, yeah. yes, and it was real legacy. It it is extremely important, and it. This is really a personality that is missed. We're talking about Qasem, Qasem Soleimani. Mm-hmm. Yes. Guys, if yes, you yes. don't. Yeah, I'm yes. talking I'm, yeah, for the audience. So uh, what I'm saying is, on the one hand, we say, whatever you negotiate, we bomb. Okay? On the other hand, listen to us, listen to our concerns, and let us see if we can find a way A, that you will take into account what we're doing. B, that you can use the fact that we are belligerent in order to have your diplomacy. I mean, let's think about Obama for a minute. What was the reason that Obama did not capitulate to the Iranians totally 100%? It was the fear of Israeli action. Yeah. Okay? We invested billions in building an army, not in order to hit Iran, but in order to frighten Obama that we will hit Iran, okay? And the only reason he had any leverage whatsoever against Iran was the threat of Israeli action. They're crazy. Hmm? The Israelis are crazy. Yeah. So now on a much, much, much lower level, the Israeli operations are being escalated recently mm-hmm. not only as a signal to the Iranians but also as a signal to the Americans by the way the action yesterday that we don't know who did it the explosion the mysterious explosion I believe Zarif in this very exceptional case <laughs> the, the who? Zarif, Zarif, the, ah, Zarif the foreign, foreign minister yeah. of Iran uh, but, but uh, it was done when uh, the secretary of, of defense the American secretary of defense is here is, he's here Yes. I was yeah. thinking about a scene no, where he's sitting in the... Done, I don't think that it was done to, to coincide with his visit. No, maybe it, on the contrary. It was I'm saying maybe he was in the action room. No, uh, no, no, no. Spectating. No, 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 no. This would implicate the Americans. We shouldn't do it. But I think that what we... Uh, the, the timing was a product of bringing the new centrifuges into... work so you want to cause as much damage they to had the just centrifuge. announced a few yes. days ago that they're starting yes. and reaching yes. and not a day has passed was and it also uh, to coincide with the talks that were occurring in Vienna maybe but this is a secondary consideration but how does but this signaling is both to Iran and to the United States and here again let me give you the big picture we are at war. People underestimate it. Israel it and is Iran. a low-intensity war compared to an all-out eruption, but it's high-intensity. We bombard thousands of times in Syria, in Western Iraq. Okay? Uh, we work clandestinely on a very large scale of actions mm-hmm. in order to undermine the But Iranian project. It's more of a proxy war. I mean, we have never set foot no, or bombed. No, that's bomb. not a proxy. We do it ourselves. We only don't recognize it. They have the proxies. They have the proxies. They have the proxies. Yeah. But well, the, ship, we the do... ship we we or someone, it's unclear who. Yes, the hit, Norwegians. Uh, yeah, the Norwegians yeah. Uh, apparently a yeah. week ago, it was an Iranian ship yes. on yeah. a mission. 
Um, but how does a country go about and because I heard like that this reactor that was uh, so badly um, damaged it's not a reactor the 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 power source in the no. reactor was damaged thus in uh, how does uh, how does it how how does it such a thing happen I assume it is done through cyber look I wasn't involved okay you know this this reminds me we if you were we don't believe you you remember <laughs> when we killed Abu Jihad in uh, Tunisia I happened to was be before our time I think I happened to I be think you remember that yeah. Yeah. We, we weren't <laughs> born I think okay but anyway I was speaking on an American uh, television show at the time and they said who did it I said well first of all I I have an alibi. I was here. You know? <laughs> so it wasn't me. And I assume it's Israelis because his daughter was there and she wasn't raped. His wife was there and she wasn't killed. So it's probably not Arabs. Uh-huh. So it must be Israelis. Okay? So we don't take credit for everything we do, mm-hmm. but we do it ourselves. But we do, are walking on a very thin line because tomorrow there could be... be an all-out war and yes. we can all die yes but <laughs> if you ask Israelis are you willing to do what Israel is doing now knowing that it can lead to war 70% say yes which is a very high percentage because Israelis understand something very fundamental if we don't do it in three or five years there will be a war that we don't know if we can win I don't know. I talked to my mother. She was very worried today. She's part of the so 30%. So your, your mother is, <laughs> she is part Polish. of the 30%. Yeah. Which is okay. all mothers, by the way. <laughs> They're all no, 30%. No, no, no. But all mothers of nice Jewish kids. <laughs> yeah. Huh? But so, uh, so... So let me, let me they ask. They also have nice mothers. So yeah, yeah. nice is something I, I don't communicate with very well. So... Um, Another thing that we didn't really mention is the fact that uh, Iran, uh, there was news this week or last week of Iran and China also coming to some uh, trade that's, or that's economic agreements. That's very serious. Now, let me put it this way. We don't know how much of it is going to materialize. And if you're asking me, it is a product of American-Chinese relations. In other words... Give us a little, give us like a sentence or two on what it actually was, what the report it was. It is... Um, something that the, the um, it's a trade the, the Chinese president visiting Tehran in 2016 in uh, 2016 yeah. um, signed a draft that was not yet binding it was uh, something that they worked on and now in March the Chinese foreign minister came to Tehran and signed it and he It speaks about Iran supplying China with large quantities of oil at a very reduced price and gas at very reduced prices, and China investing hundreds of billions of dollars over 25 years in uh, Iran. And this could be very, very damaging, but it's... If the Chinese do it, they will find themselves provoking the Americans in a very major way and also undermining their relations with Israel 
in a very major way. I'm not saying the Chinese can't afford to do it vis-a-vis Israel, but it will be part of the American-Chinese picture. And the Iranians are going into a very dangerous area, and the Iranians are smart enough to understand it, of China taking over Iran, because China has taken over large portions of Africa and some portions of South America. And the Iranians know that the Chinese are not doing it out of benevolence. They don't that like the Muslims Chinese very much. The Chinese are extremely dangerous. Mm-hmm. So is it something... Is it something that both the Chinese and the Iranians want to blow up so that the Americans see and make concessions on other fields? Yes. Is it something that they're both going to do on this scale? I don't think so. Anyway, it's still open. It seems like since we've been here last time, a year and a half ago, so many things happened. Um, in the Middle East, the you Middle have East. in one week approximately what you have in a decade yeah. in America, let yeah. alone you know, in other but, but places. But really, things happened here that haven't happened for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, were you surprised with the peace, four peace agreements? Um, do you share the, the notion that uh, it's just normalization, it's not no, big no, deal? No, 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 no. Many it's people a huge say, deal. and just now I saw a video where the spokesperson uh, of the foreign affairs uh, in, in America, he said he, he wouldn't call them the Abraham Accords. Ah, yeah. He wouldn't want to say that they don't recognize the, the fact that, yeah, it's a peace plan even, uh, Joe Biden's people. Look, it has enormous significance, and I've already explained why. Because this is, I'm writing an article now, and this is the name of the article, And the name of the article is The Beginning of the End of the Arab-Israeli Conflict. And what I'm saying in the article is the following, that the peace treaty with Egypt was the end of the beginning of the Arab-Israeli Conflict because the most important Arab state made peace with Israel. And now it is the beginning of the end because, as I said before, there is no Israel vis-a-vis the Arabs. There is no the Arabs anymore. Now, we've never had it Israel vis-a-vis the Arabs because it was always Israel and most Arabs against the radical Arabs. But the other non-radical Arabs were not willing to openly cooperate with Israel against the radicals because they were afraid of the radicals. Today, the non-radical Arabs are saying the radicals are frightening us anyhow. So at least let us cooperate with the only power in the Middle East that is both able and willing to stop them because the Israelis are determined to stop them and the Israelis are strong to stop them. The Americans are strong but not determined. Europe is nothing, okay? So it's not even part of uh, of the picture because I don't think they even bothered to think about it, because they they made themselves such a non-entity. But if they think what will help us defend ourselves against the Iranians, it is we can trust Israel more than America, we need America more than Israel, but 
we already know that the Americans can forsake us. Look at what Obama did, and Biden may be doing something similar. When you say Europe, do you include the United Kingdom? Well, first of all, congratulations to Britain that it's no longer part of mm-hmm. Europe. I think it was a good decision. It saved many lives huh? with COVID. It saved many lives with yes, COVID. Yes, but this is not my prime consideration. Um, but uh, look, the Brits have gone with the Americans on a number of things, but and they're not as bad as others in Europe, and, and nobody is as bad as the European Union. I mean, perhaps the Swedes and the Irish, but uh, mostly... You, you San Marino Ians are pretty uh, well, devilish. <laughs> maybe they will send their fleet. Yeah. You know? <laughs> We need a Swiss admiral to uh, lead their armada and, uh, uh, and, and an Austrian aircraft carrier. Um, we have in Europe... A collection of states that on the one hand is the greatest achievement of civilized humanity in the last and this century namely turning Europe from a slaughterhouse into a peaceful continent I have tremendous respect for that a very special guy uh, Ron Posson He oh, used to be yeah. our ambassador in the United Nations yeah, and the director general of the Israeli Foreign Ministry yeah. and also the ambassador to, um, to uh, Britain. And today I brought him to my class at Tel Aviv University to speak. Oh, nice. And he speaks German. And he speaks German. Guys, yes. uh, we paused wow. the recording, but as we paused, Professor Shifton started speaking on the phone, fluent German. Yeah. And, yeah. and made us Hebrew, both a little bit Hebrew, which is yeah. very surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Around yeah. this time of year it's yeah. it's a little well, unnerving so, to hear that, you know. Well, <laughs> let me let me tell you something about yeah. that and you can then decide if you want to erase it from from your podcast. No. A, a year ago, exactly a year ago, I was um speaking to um high-ranking German staff officers that I teach strategic thinking and I told them that I would like to see a much stronger German military and a much stronger um, public support for a strong German army and I said I'm saying this is a Jew because I realize that today you're a democratic country and uh, my enemies I have are different now and I would want Germany to be Uh, stronger militarily so one of the guys uh, there tells me um, well you must understand we had a trauma in the second world war I said you wouldn't believe it but even we had a small trauma <laughs> in, in the second world war but you need to ask yourself what can defend the good guys today and I told him the story about the previous Yom HaShoah where I brought the German military attache to my class in the university and I asked him to come in uniform on Yom HaShoah. Mm-hmm. And we had a discussion that I started on the difference between guilt and responsibility. I said, your generation doesn't have guilt, but your generation has responsibility. So let's discuss it and let me hear from you 
from the German military attache. Okay? And I told them in Germany the, um, this story to say we need to defend ourselves. Weakness is always bad for the good guys. And very often the Germans tell me we have learned from Hitler that force is a bad thing. And my answer to them is always, I've learned from Hitler that a lot of force, sometimes even brutal force, used by the good guys is a good thing. Because there are two options. Either the good guys break the bad guys or the bad guys break the good guys. So let's make the good guys strong. Okay? This is my lesson of Hitler. The good guys should be strong and they should bomb the shit out of the enemy. And what do you say to people who would hear that and say that's a, uh, that's a relic of uh, foreign policy? That's, you know, you, your thinking is, is, is 50, 100 years old. Certain things don't grow old. Okay? Let me tell you something. At the time of the Roman Empire, I was uh, young, relatively speaking. <laughs> but let me say something that I think originates from this time. Civis patsem parabellum. He who wants peace, prepare for war. Mm -hmm. Some things don't change. Okay? We heard the so, same words from uh, Robert Auman many years ago when yeah. he was on the podcast. Civis patsem Parabellum. Yes. Well, so what's going to happen, Professor Shifton, with Iran? When's the shit going to hit the fan? Well, I don't know if it will erupt. You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it will erupt into major war immediately. What I can say is that not only I have no doubt whatsoever, but there is a very, 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 very wide Israeli consensus about the understanding that when it comes to the Middle East, the choices are not between the good and the bad. They are between the repulsive and the catastrophic. Always choose the repulsive in the Middle East because the alternative is the catastrophic. I is can a, relate to this. Uh, is a military dictatorship in, in uh, Egypt a good thing? No. It would be much nicer if we would have had Florence Nightingale as uh, president of Egypt and, uh, you know, the Tooth Fairy would be the minister of uh, foreign Pyramids. affairs and uh, we can all ride into the sunset and live happily ever after. And keep doing the drugs we're doing. <laughs> but the alternative is the catastrophe of the Muslim chaos. Yeah. The alternative with Iran is try to prevent them from preparing the means that they need in order to make war unwinnable for Israel. Try it now. Hope that it doesn't lead to war. Be very careful, but still very, very consistent. First of all, be determined. And also be careful, but first of all, be determined. But if we fail in preventing them from acquiring... Then, then a war now is much better than a war in five years. And if we fail, even with a war in 
preventing them from acquiring nuclear weapons. The nuclear weapons are not the focus of our interest. The nuclear weapons have only the... It's very important. The objective of the nuclear weapons is to give the Iranian regime immunity. They think, I think they're wrong, they think that if they have nuclear weapons, they will have immunity. They're wrong about it, but they think that this, this is what will give them. The real threat is that they will prepare an infrastructure of the kind that with a multitude of missiles that will saturate even the best anti-missile defense system. And Israel has the best missile defense system ever in human history. Okay? Even this can be saturated. And they want to saturate it with hundreds of thousands of accurate, long-range, heavy payload missiles. And if, they, if we let them build it, if we will not destroy it as we do, a number of times every week, then they can quietly take over one Arab state after another until it is too late. The good old domino Israel. theory. Yes, but I don't need dominoes for it, okay? I don't need theories for it. I know what they can do. Look, for instance... If a radical army takes over Jordan now, the Israeli army will physically prevent it. Okay? We can't have a radical army sitting on our Jordanian front. Imagine a situation where an Israeli decision maker has to consider whether he responds to something in Jordan that happens very slowly, not one day a dramatic invasion, but very slowly a takeover of Jordan and if Israel does something, thousands of missiles will hit Tel Aviv with happy payloads. Will it destroy Israel? No. Will it very, 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 very seriously damage the Israeli success story? Yes. So you don't want to let them have this infrastructure in Syria. So you hit it a number of times every week. And if it leads to war, so be it. it's better to have the war now than in three years. But if you don't do it, namely if you Obamanize the Israeli strategy, then you're doomed. Then it's over. Okay? And here you have, notice some, one very interesting thing. We had four election campaigns. What didn't come up? Any disagreement about security. Any disagreement about Iran, there is a complete consensus on the subject mm -hmm. because Israelis are not nice. I mean, this is what makes it possible enemies. for me to sleep at night. <laughs> I've never suspected Israel of being nice. We found a way to be Sparta towards our enemies and Athens towards the inside. Okay? It's a very tricky combination. You see, the Arabs have failed because they have Sparta from the outside and Sparta for the inside. Uh, Europe is incapable of defending itself because it is essence on the inside and essence on the outside. 
we have combined the two. And on the one hand, Israel is the freest country. I mean, we border on anarchy. Okay? And on the other hand, uh, we have taken the advice of Johnson when he spoke to next, uh, to uh, Kennedy. Kennedy said, you have to reach the hearts and minds of people. Johnson is reported to have responded, once you've got them by the balls, their hearts and minds will follow. Okay? <laughs> this is more or less the, the essence of my Weltanschauung. Okay? If you don't have them by the short and curly hair, you're doomed because you're surrounded by barbarians. Some of the Arabs are not, and we cooperate with them. Okay? But the radical Arabs, the Iranian regime, the Turkish regime, we are surrounded by barbarians, among others. Okay? So let's cooperate with the relatively good guys that may not be nice against the perfectly bad guys that threaten our existence. It's a good note, I think, Eitan, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Lots of food for thought you've given us. We really appreciate the time. Bon and, appetit. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Before we go, so first of all, this, uh, w- what can we recommend, like y- your articles? Uh, I will have. When is it going to air? Hopefully tomorrow. Ah, th- 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 that's too soon. I'm writing an article now okay. that uh, I would have recommended. But, uh, let In them, English? Uh, yes. And where yeah. will it appear? Um, if it is only between us and you will not uh, ah, so, air. Ah, no, I so see. later, you, you so later. Uh, later okay. we'll but look uh, out for Dan but, Shiftan but on, the internet, on the internet. This, this book, uh, this is only a blueprint of it. When it is translated into English, here is something interesting. I wanted to write an update to the national objectives of the Jewish people. Since the beginning of Zionism and the State of Israel until today, and I wanted to update it. I, I said, well, in the last decade, a lot of things happened. I wanted to update it. And then I looked for something to update, and I realized that in the last 150 years, nobody wrote anything on the subject. Mm-hmm. So I've written a book on this with a very, very broad perspective. And to give you only a few examples, it starts with the objective of bringing the Jewish people back to history. Because in our exile, we were not functioning as a people in history. The second objective is to bring the Jews to Israel. When the state of Israel was established, we were 6% of the Jewish people. Today, we're 46% of the Jewish people. And in a few years, we will inevitably become the majority of the Jewish people because in the American Jewish community, you have a lot of assimilation and very few children. And in Israel, you have zero assimilation and a very high number of children. Disregard the ultra-Orthodox, okay? Just speak about the constructive part about Israel. We have more than three children per family. So it's enormously high. So this is a perspective, concentrating the Jewish people in history and in, in Israel. And it's fascinating because 
one of the greatest objections to it came from the American Jewish leadership and particularly from somebody who used to be for 12 years the president of the Zionist organization, Nahum Goldman. And he argued he passed that a long time Israel, yeah. not so long ago, in the mid-1970s, I was surprised. I thought that this is what he said in the 20s. Mm-hmm. But even in the, tw- in the 70s, he said Israel should not be a sovereign state. Uh, because if Israel is a sovereign state, it will have interests. And these interests may clash with the interests of the United States. And then the Americans will accuse the Jews in America of dual loyalty. So let Israel not be a sovereign state. And then he said that Israel should be defended by a small international army. And the major role in this international (laughs) army should be Arabs. And the Arabs will defend Israel, and this will psychologically compensate them for the fact that we took away an Arab land. Okay? (laughs) And this was, for 12 years, the president of the Zionist organization. What a guy. Okay? What a guy. So when you go back 150 years, as I did, and also speak about the Iranians and what we spoke today, and this is, I think, not objective. Yeah. This is about to be translated into English. What's the name of the book? The name in Hebrew is The National Objectives of Israel, an Overall Perspective. Okay. Okay. And it is published by the INSS. This is the um, uh, institute next to Tel Aviv University. Yeah. It is the most outstanding. National Security. Yes. The most outstanding Israeli um, uh, think tank about uh, national security. And this particular uh, copy is part of the Israeli National Security College because now this is what they're going to teach in the National Security College. So next time you come, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll we do will, you, you'll have one about the, the book. English version and we can discuss the book. Perfect. Guys, we were just about to finish. Uh, and I was saying that my mom won't like this episode. It's very depressing. And then Professor Shifton had something to add. There are two kinds of optimists, dumb optimists and smart optimists. And let me tell you what the difference is between the two of them. Dumb optimists say things will be better. Smart optimists say things will be worse. But we will get stronger faster than things get worse. So the gap between the good guys and the bad guys will grow. And that's what counts in the final analysis. So don't expect, it's like this great saying, one day I was sitting gloomy in my room and then a voice came out of the darkness and said, cheer up, things could be worse. So I cheered up and sure enough, things did get worse. (laughs) The point is that when they get worse, you can have them by the short and curly hair. So before we go, um, we're sponsored by Massa. So guys, check out Massa. They have amazing programs. Uh, here in Israel, yes. and it's highly recommended. Go to specifically massaisrael.org slash two nice Jewish boys, T W O nice Jewish boys, massaisrael.org slash two nice Jewish boys. Also, also, we are sponsored by The Forward. Yes. A great source for news, opinion, all through a Jewish lens. Uh, so check them out, forward.com slash 
2NJB. And get a discount. And you get six months for 15 That's very bucks. Jewish of you. Yes. yes, yes Save yes. some money. Save a shekel. Yeah. Uh, also, Arutz Sheva, IsraelNationalNews.com. Check them out. Uh, we are published also there. Great source in English for news here in Israel. We're not only all over the globe, but we're all over the political aisle. Yes. Right? We have the forward, we have Israel National News, and we have ajn.timesofisrael.com, Australian Jewish News. Check them out ajn.timesofisrael.com. Like lastly, the Iranians, we are everywhere. Yeah, um, we got our hands in our, every pocket. We have proxies. <laughs> um, and lastly, guys, uh, we accept donations, so please help us out. Yes. That's very Jewish. Uh-huh. 2NJB.com <laughs> slash donate. That is it, Professor Shifton. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.